by far the most consistent thing from the study is that uh, optimism increases over time. So you're at your lowest, actually, when you're about 18 years old. And after that point, with each progressing year, you, on average, you get a little bit more optimistic. This is Murad's Well Connected, the podcast where we cut through the noise, dive into the science, and connect the dots between your mind, body, food, and skin. We're here to give you the wellness information you need in a way that you can use. I'm Kim Marshall, a wellness storyteller and host of the Global Wellness Summit podcast. I'm excited to get to guest host another episode of Well Connected. Guess what we're talking about today? Optimism and how it relates to stress and why it's actually smart to look for the positives in life. But let's face it, over the past year and some months, with a global pandemic, racial and social unrest, and climate disasters, it's been a little hard to be optimistic. But turns out optimism is actually super important for our overall well-being. To talk about that, we're going to interview Dr. William Chopik, Professor of Social and Personality Psychology and Director of the Close Relationships Lab at Michigan State University. Professor Chopik's a bona fide and very busy researcher who's been the recipient of many awards, but the one that caught my eye was five years ago. Forbes magazine named him one of the top 30 scientists under 30. He recently published a study in the Journal of Research and Personality about how optimism is impacted by life events. Professor Chopik, thanks so much for chatting with me. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to time. One of your most recent studies is called Changes in Optimism and Pessimism in Response to Life Events. And you researched 75,000 people between the ages of 16 and 101. That's quite the range. What did you find? By far, the most consistent thing from the study is that uh, optimism increases over time. So you're at your lowest, actually, when you're about 18 years old. And after that point, with each progressing year, you, on average, you get a little bit more optimistic. There's also this point where around age 60 and 70, you're at your highest peak, after which you, you start to decline a little bit. You become a little bit more pessimistic, um, but not so much that you're kind of back when you were 18. So you're still, on average, pretty pretty optimistic. That's an interesting story where over time people think better and better things will keep happening to them. But then we also found that we were interested in the question of you thinking good or bad things happen. Maybe that's affected when stuff actually happens to you, like if you lose your job. Maybe that affects how you think about the future or you get divorced, you have a really bad breakup, um, or if you get a cancer diagnosis or you get really sick. And some of the most interesting findings from the paper were actually things we didn't find. So all these really terrible, all these really wonderful things didn't really change your optimism at all, even though maybe it should have, should have. <laughs> so. Wow. Now you found even in your study or in your research in general, that there's a genetic component to optimism. So that begs the question, can someone who's naturally more pessimistic become more optimistic? Yeah. So when they say that there's a genetic component, there's often an, a misunderstanding about exactly what that means. So, you know, I think a lot of people will say, oh, am I doomed to always be this really negative person and be super pessimistic? And, th and that's not true. Exactly how you become more optimistic, if you have that power within you, we don't really know. There's some evidence that maybe through different types of therapy, you could change how you think about the past, how you think about the future. 
But yeah, so only about 25% of optimism is heritable, uh, which then leads a lot more movement. But again, we're not really sure why or how that movement happens or if you can harness it. You'll likely not find a lot of self-help books that are useful. Uh, You know, they promise really big things, but um, it usually takes really deliberative work uh, to try to change how you think about the future, how you think about things happening to you. And that's a fascinating thing from the current study is that one reason we think that nothing happened is because when bad things happen to optimists, they look on the bright side of them or they see the silver lining. My partner dumped me, but, you know, maybe this gives me an opportunity to grow as a person or find someone better. Pessimists don't think that way. That is not the first thought that comes to mind. And if you're a pessimist, it's actually really hard to get out of that mental rut. But it looks like maybe some therapeutic approaches might be able to help them. They won't be this super positive Pollyanna person, but they'll be a little less pessimistic, which I think is... So Debbie Downer won't be so down. Yeah, just Debbie. Did you find that if you hang out with optimistic people, it kind of rubs off? Or did that not come up? We do, yeah. So we've had other studies. It's, it's mostly about married couples. So if you find your, so you mentioned your husband earlier. Uh, so there's some, it looks like there might be some degree of influence between you two. We're not exactly sure how maybe you make him more optimistic or, or he's dragging you down a little bit. But yeah, so it looks like over time, if you're paired with someone who's optimistic, uh, you tend to see more positive things. And, and maybe you can interrupt each other's negative thinking where there's someone says, oh, I had a really terrible day at work. And then you're like, well, now you're at dinner and we can enjoy ourselves and really have extra dessert uh, or something like that. You're giving me so much ammunition. I love it. I love it. Okay. So, you know, the idea in your study of uh, optimism changing over the course of someone's life, what kind of implication does that have? I mean, is there a way that we can keep the flame alive, as it were, and work to have the optimism of our youth? Yeah, I mean, in one sense, there's there's a bunch of reasons why optimism might increase. Um, So there's a really simple account, which is you just get better at stuff over time. So think about your first day at a new job, like how bad you were at it, just because you didn't know. You didn't know anything. And then over time, you kind of build competence. Um, So I remember the first time I got in front of a lecture and I was I was talking to 400 people and it was not a good lecture. I was terrified the whole time. But, you know, over time I got better and better at it or less worse. Um, And, you know, there's just a sense where you build confidence and you're like, oh, this won't go as badly as I thought it would. And then you're like, oh, well, today will be okay. Oh, I'm going to try this new thing and maybe that'll work out really well. So the same thing happens with all sorts of things like um, your life, your exercise routine, your relationships. Um, First dates are, you know the pessimist's worst nightmare. <laughs> but yeah, so that, that's one reason. Another reason is as you get older, um, you focus less on kind of getting ahead, forming connections, like getting that promotion, being go, go, go all the time. And you start to shift towards um, maintaining emotional balance. Basically, you want to be happy because <laughs> you start to realize, oh, life is short. Maybe I should cultivate my well-being, which I, you know, this whole podcast is partially about is kind of this wellness idea so, so that's another explanation is that over time, maybe we start to look for more positive things in our life. You know, one of Murad's main messages is the importance of reducing stress when possible. So how have you found that optimism relates to stress? How does one impact the other? Optimists have better coping skills for a variety of different reasons. So when something bad happens, a really stressful event happens, there's this immediate negative reaction we all have. It looks like optimistic people tend to experience less of that. They have less of a 
arousal where this is the end of the world. But then even in the cases where optimists are super stressed out, like objectively, this is something you need to worry about. They're better at solving a lot of those problems. So they're more like problem focused. So they're like, how can I solve this problem within my range of tools that can make that happen? So, and, and that's what I mentioned the therapeutic approaches before, because a lot of cognitive behavioral therapies, and that's, you know, when you, when you go to a therapist and they start talking to you about how to tackle negative thoughts or how to change your behavior, that's what a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy is, is trying to change these thoughts. A, a lot of that is saying, okay, maybe this is not the worst thing in the world. Um, you dealt with things like this before. What are some concrete steps you can do to make this better? So in terms of like using optimism, even if you're not this super positive person, you can use the tool, you can kind of fake it as an optimist. You know, what would an optimist do in this situation? Well, they would probably, um, you know, try their best to rectify the situation. Um, so th there's a sense in which optimists might be better at handling stress immediately in the moment, but then even after that, they're just good at solving problems. Uh, whereas pessimists, they get into this negative cycle where they feel like they're paralyzed or they maybe make things worse because they're not exactly sure how to act or they're kind of ruminating and focusing on their emotions. Um, and yeah, they might, they might not even be doing all those things consciously. So what you're saying is optimists actually work to solve the problems that cause stress. So that's super cool. You know, in fact, according to numerous medical studies uh, cited by the Global Wellness Institute that I work with, an optimistic outlook typically equals better health outcomes. And specifically, optimism can protect against the inflammatory effects of stress. So that's disease causing, right? What has your research shown? Yeah, so at, at the very least, yeah, optimism is associated with living longer, living happier, healthier lives in the long run. One thing that optimists do to, to kind of bridge to what we were just talking about is they, they solve things in a preventative way. So are there things you can do to prevent the onset of bad things in the future? And one thing they do is that they eat healthier, they exercise more, they don't get as freaked out when bad things happen. And yeah, you, you have less, even your, it, it seems at least preliminarily that your body has less of a, an extreme reaction. Uh, that's the inflammatory response. So, you know, a, a repeated activation of those systems leads to, yeah, all the really bad diseases we want to avoid in our lives. It's not that optimists are magical superheroes, you know, they're actually doing stuff. They they're leading healthier lives. And that, that could be one of the reasons why they live longer. They think, oh, I'll go to the gym because maybe that'll work out well. Uh, whereas pessimists might not actually have that same thought. Now, you know, one of Murad's um, advisory members is uh, Deepika Chopra. She's the optimism doctor. And she talks a lot about, you know, don't stress out about trying to look on the bright side. Don't make that cause you stress. So they call it toxic positivity. It's appeared in social media a lot that people are forced into positive thinking all the time. So the question really is, can someone actually be too positive? Can staying positive all the time cause stress? Yeah, I mean, that's a fascinating idea that researchers are just beginning to investigate. So yeah, I, I think that there is some degree where if you are really thrusting positivity on someone and it doesn't come natural for them, a lot of times they'll feel anxious about it uh, and it might exacerbate a lot of things. Um, you know, one thing about optimism is that it's not the sense that it's just like, I feel positive and everything's amazing and I'm going to win the lottery tomorrow. And, um, you know, optimists actually, they feel more positive on average, but like you said before, they actually solve problems too. So 
you know, it's not that they're just like skipping throughout their day. Um, you know, they're, they're doing all these preventative things that avoid negative outcomes and then they seek out opportunities that give positive ones. Um, so in terms of like becoming more optimistic, that's another way that the toxic positivity, they think that the intervention is, oh, you should be more positive. That's not really what the intervention is. Um, it's more that you should maybe tackle the problems that are causing you a lot of trouble, or you should make these super negative attributions about your life that you're no good or not worth something. Rather, you should try to reframe these things. So I, I think that that's way more effective. And, you know, years of therapy, uh, therapeutic research have kind of supported that idea. And there's studies actually that that type of therapy might be able to change your personality. What were one of the most surprising things about the study to you? What's hopeful or optimistic about the study? Perhaps the most interesting thing is that these really negative and devastating events happen to people and they're kind of just okay. Um, or maybe they're bad in the immediate, but then they kind of rebound. And there's some work on that where, you know, when something bad happens, you, you don't feel good, but then you sort of return to a baseline where things are okay. And part of that is maybe optimists doing these mental gymnastics about, you know, this really one bad thing doesn't define the entirety of my life and that maybe that can be better. So, so part of it, it, the paper could be like a study of resilience. The fact that humans have this really interesting, unique thing that even when the awful things happen, we're kind of okay. But you know, exactly how that happens, why that happens, what people are thinking of when bad things happen, uh, that's going to be what we're going to be trying next. Oh, wow. So that's your next study. If you could give some tips for how to stay in the driver's seat of optimism and make it a priority in life, what, what would they be? So I think two things. I think the reframing uh, is a big one. So like, like you said, with the toxic positivity, having someone tell you just to be happier all the time is not going to work. Um, but I think really deliberatively examining your thoughts, why you think the way you do. I wouldn't necessarily advocate for everyone to go to therapy, but you know, you could at least examine your own thoughts. Maybe that you have some blind spots. Um, maybe that you sometimes jump to the worst possible conclusion when there's plenty of other <laughs> explanations available. Um, so yeah, really, really attending to some of those thoughts and attributions that you make. Um, that, that's probably one of the best things people can do. And then also just taking stock of your environment where, you know, maybe there are positive features that you've been overlooking. Um, and that's different than just be happier. That's, you have things in your life that are probably pretty good right now. And maybe think about those for more than two seconds. I need to ask you about your work in general, because you study close relationships, husbands and wives, parents and children, best friends, right? Why are those so important in psychology and to our overall well-being? Well, when you ask a lot of people why they do all sorts of things in their life, they usually give you an answer, at least derived somewhere deep down for other people. So we do it to impress other people, attract other people, because we're scared of other people, because uh, we want their approval. So, you know, everything we do on a daily basis is often in the service of other people in some way. So, and um, yeah, it dictates a lot about what we do every day. And according to some people, it's one of the largest determinants of why we're happy is kind of who we surround ourselves with. So we were just fascinated in terms of how do those relationships change over time? How do they get better? And maybe what are some things you can do to make better relationships in your life? 
Why did you choose to study optimism? Because, you know, the Cambridge English Dictionary says that optimism is the tendency to be hopeful, to emphasize the good part in a situation rather than the bad, and the feeling that the future uh, good things are most likely to happen. But why does optimism matter so much? Well, I think it's it's a fascinating human trait. Even when people have really bad life circumstances, they're really struggling, or you know, even temporarily, like if you're going through a bad rut, bad time in your life, when you ask people about the future, they invariably say that it'll get better, um, even if there's not a lot of evidence for that to happen. In a way, it kind of speaks to the human resilience in all of us, the fact that even when we're at our lowest, we have the potential to maybe better our lives someday. So, so that's the, the basic part, but that actual definition you gave highlights it really well. We kind of focus on the positive events. We think that more of them are likely to come in the future. And, you know, it's a really large determinant of why you're happy, why you strive to achieve things because you think they'll work out. Um, why do you apply for the promotion? Why do you ask that attractive person out? Why do you do all sorts of things? Uh, why do you get out of bed in the morning? <laughs> you know, there's some assumption that what you'll do that day will go okay uh, or even be great. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's wrapped up in all sorts of things. Um, why you think some things happen to you, um, if those things are likely to continue. When bad stuff happens, how do you frame that? How do you think about that? Is it just temporary or is it here to stay? Optimism is just this really, really fascinating thing that it bucks a lot of our current understandings about why we think the way we do. Uh, and even in the context of the pandemic, when you ask people, do you think your life will get better? They answer yes. Tell us, what is the difference between optimism and happiness? So happiness is more just you evaluating your whole life. So that's you thinking about your job, your relationships, your health, your work, all, all sorts of different things. And basically, when I ask you how happy you are, happiness researchers say that you kind of take an average of all those things that are going on in your head. And then you say, oh, on average, yeah, I'm pretty happy with my life. Or I'm pretty happy relative to what I used to be. Or I'm pretty happy relative to like, the average person of my gender or my age. Um, so in terms of happiness, it's it's on one hand much simpler. It's just kind of like, how do you feel right now? But optimism has to do with you making predictions about the future. And that's wrapped up in all sorts of different things, including stuff that's happened to you in the past. Um, so part of how we learn is things happen to us. And we learn if those things will be consistent or not, why those things happen. Did they happen because you know, I'm really dumb or I'm bad at this, or did they happen because I was lucky? Did it happen because I tried really hard? So it's wrapped up in terms of everything that's ever happened in your life. And then also you looking around and thinking, okay, now that I've learned all these things and the state of the world, those things in combination, will I be happier someday? Uh, or will good things continue to happen? So optimism is wrapped up in all these sorts of different things. Uh, whereas happiness is often just you asking it, it often comes to people's minds and they know what that question is. But sometimes when you ask them, hey, are you optimistic? It's a little bit harder. Well, I'm optimistic about my friends and my family life, but I'm not super optimistic about my job. And so there's so many different kind of layers and slivers to optimism that, in my opinion, I think it's a little more complicated. But, you know, I can't help myself but ask uh, Professor Chopik, what are you optimistic about? Oh, uh, all sorts of things. One reason I really love working with students is that I'm optimistic about all the fun and cool things they'll do. So I have these classes where I'll teach, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people, and we might not feel a great connection, but then 
there's some classes where you get a lot of really kind of close time with just a few students and then they want to do all sorts of really fascinating things like they they want to bring world peace they want to develop this amazing product the grad students in my lab want to answer really amazing questions that are meant to make people's lives better or make them live longer and they're just so much more skilled than I was when I was their age um so part of the excitement and optimism is like, oh, man, I can't wait to see what you you all do. Luckily, I get to do that most days is kind of, you know, see these people flourish and develop into their own people. Well, I also I also think people should look at your Twitter feed if they want to be optimistic because it's quite funny. So, <laughs> so anyway, Dr. Chopik, we just thank you so much for putting the research, the science, the facts so that it's not misinformation, but actually based on science of the real reasons to be optimistic. So we really can't thank you enough. And we're going to try to put your tips to good use. Great. Thanks so much. You know, I think the biggest thing I'll remember after today is that optimistic people actually live longer, healthier, happier lives. Makes sense. And even more reason to look on the bright side of things, right? Thanks to our guest, Professor William Chopik, whose tips might even make my life a little better. So that's it for this episode of Well Connected, a podcast from Murad. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review, and connect with us at murad.com. This is Kim Marshall from the Global Wellness Summit. Thanks for listening. <laughs>